This is the Best Run Podcast. Brought to you by SAP. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's edition of the Best Run Podcast, brought to you by SAP. Today, we're going to talk about unleashing the power of sustainability and how businesses are driving revenue growth from it. And I have someone very special in the studio with me today. I've got Frances Atkins, who's the co-founder of Giveable. Welcome, Frances. Thanks for having me. And what we'll do first is we'll talk about Giveable. Um, Frances, I'll ask you to give an intro, and then we'll talk about the technologies helping to track and report on ESG. And then we'll um, talk about um, how sort of Giveable came to life. Uh, so what I'd like to start off with, Frances, if you could just share a little bit about your background with us. Yeah, sure. So I actually started life out as a lawyer. I was a financial services lawyer for a number of years. But one of the things I loved about my time at the law firm was that I did pro bono work, um, which got me involved with um, a different side of the law and um, helping people that you know couldn't access legal service services so readily um, through the pro bono program. So that gave me an insight into, I guess, social impact, if you like. I then went on to, um, from financial services law, I went to the other side and did banking for a number of years. So I was a, a banker for 10 years at JP Morgan. Again, at JP Morgan, I actively sought to engage in some of the programs they had there. So we would go to schools and do teach the kids maths or do reading with them that um, perhaps didn't have as much time at home, they might have been part of big families and didn't get the same sort of attention to do this sort of schooling. And, and there were programs like that. Um, a lot of organisations do that, particularly the large one, to you know in, get involved with the community. And what I loved about my time as a, a, as a first a corporate lawyer and then a, a banker, and then leads us a little bit into why or how we ended up um, at, at Giveable and, and the concept of Giveable. Yeah, that's an interesting background to lead into something to do with sustainability. So why don't you give us an explanation of Giveable and what the basis was for starting the venture? Yeah, sure. So we actually, I mean, I think it's, you know, probably a frequent founder story. We didn't start with Giveable. I actually took uh, maternity leave um, from being a banker and it was the first time I got to think about other ideas that had been sort of bubbling around in my head. And my sister and I, who was also on maternity leave, um, we decided to create a fully customizable children's book. And the whole purpose of this was to raise money for a literacy charity, actually. Um, so we gave the proceeds to that charity. But one of the things that came out of that was we had a large corporate come to us and say, oh, we love what you're doing. It, it works really well with our brand. We'd love to you know, purchase these books and use them as part of one of our um, initiatives that we have internally and externally. Um, to pr promote our business. And we thought, wow, that's wonderful. But they never asked us about the impact we were having. So the literacy side of, of it and, and where those funds were going and what they were being used for. And we thought, that's a real shame um, that that wasn't captured anywhere. The next thing that happened was we now have children, we're going to lots of birthday parties. And I was starting to get a little bit fed up about the all the birthday presents. My own child would be excited about it for all of maybe a couple of minutes and then she was sort of not really interested in 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 the toy or or the gift any longer and I thought oh no um this is not good this is a waste and all that money all that paper all that plastic you know there must be a better way I then created a 
just for myself, a crowdfunding platform where um, guests to a birthday party could contribute to a gift and any overs to that um, single gift would go to a charity. And what ended up happening with that is that all the guests wanted to use it. And it was this terrible platform. I never sort of assumed anyone else would want to use it. People um, did. And we ended up having just you know, people from anywhere um, using it um, all over the world, which is really, really cool. My sister and I, who came in on that project to help me get it off the ground, were sitting there thinking, well, what do we do with this? We never intended to build anything. So uh, we stumbled across an entrepreneurship program at the University of New South Wales, and we presented our, um, our idea there. And they thought that was pretty cool that we were able to create network effects and that it was inherently scalable and, you know, all the things that I think founders try to achieve in their own platform. And we'd sort of done it by accident. And they asked if we would come into their flagship accelerator. Um, And this is where Giveable starts because we got into that accelerator, but we didn't really, we knew from just our, you know, I guess, early um, interactions with the concept of entrepreneurship, we knew that you had to be in it 200%, otherwise it was never going to work. And We love the idea of this platform, this gifting platform, but it wasn't something that we had, you know, uh, that we sort of saw ourselves doing over the longer term. So we asked the university if we could reconsider what our, you know, concept was uh, during the program. And they said, yes. Now, during that program, we looked at what our strengths were. So I'd spent a long time in corporate, as I said, as a lawyer and a banker, Uh, My sister, Naomi, she was a former diplomat at Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, and then she uh, worked in corporate as well in in banking um, in Geneva. You know, we really liked our corporate careers. We really enjoyed that part of it, and we wanted to leverage the skills that we'd learned. And so the seed of the idea was how can we bring this impact that we'd created in a couple of our other platforms to the corporate space and how could we really push this idea of corporate social responsibility? We thought there was really exciting opportunity. And this is a you know obviously a number of years ago, an exciting opportunity to, you know, rather than do these philanthropic things, which are great and needed and very important part of you know, an organization's um, identity in a community, but how can we do that through everyday operating activities? And we thought spend was really a really good place to look at because we could see things happening in the market. We could see that there were social enterprises. We could see that there were B Corps. We could see that there were diverse businesses out there that were supporting other minorities or underrepresented groups. And then we had this emerging theme around sustainability and needing to engage products and services that had the right attributes, the right sustainability attributes. And we thought, okay, how can we make this easier for companies? And that was the seed for Giveable. Sorry, that was a bit of a long story. No, story no. There. <laughs> I, lo- I love the fact that it came from something personal and now it's evolved into something which, you know, you're, you're applying from a, into a corporate perspective. So, yeah, it's a great, great backstory. So then you partnered with SAP. How did that partnership begin? So SAP, I believe it was a specifically a sustainability program. And obviously, you know, SAP is a, a large ERP software provider. Pullman is obviously a key part of the services that SAP delivers to its clients. And, you know, as we, we just discussed, the seed of our, our idea was around how can we activate spend 
for better outcomes from a sustainability or social impact perspective. So for us, we saw SAP as a natural place for us to go and we applied for the program. I believe it was an APAC program and we applied for it and we got in and then, you know, so the relationship with SAP began. Awesome. So now let's get to the technologies helping to track and report on ESG targets. So just give everyone a bit of a flavour about what ESG is in terms of your definition and why it's becoming such a hot topic in the business world. Yeah, sure. So ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. When we talk about it, we we call out the S part of ESG and sometimes refer to it as Environmental, Social and Human Rights and Governance because we think that gives people a, a better flavour around what this means. It started in the in sort of the investor or financial services space, this concept of ESG and how corporations incorporated into their their business activities because if you do ESG well you should be operating a sound business you should be reducing your reputational risk and you should have the right governance practices in place and therefore you should be um, a company uh, with the right attributes that investors and stakeholders want to you know be a part of that growth journey. So it started, that concept of ESG started out um, in the investment sort of arena if you like Um, And it has become more obviously mainstream in the last few years. And the reason for that is a number of different pressures that we've seen in that space of time. Obviously, there's a lot of climate pressures that companies are facing. You know, we've had the supply chain shocks over the last couple of years and and how organisations have dealt with that along other issues that um, have a relationship with with the supply chain, like human rights and modern slavery and, 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 and governance as well. And so these issues have really surfaced over the last couple of years and companies are trying to figure out, well, how do we demonstrate our ESG practices to our various stakeholders, whether they be our investors or our customers or our employees? So there is this real stakeholder pressure But then, of course, you've got the regulatory pressure coming from and sort of the more systemic pressures around how organisations structure their business. So you have, you know, stock exchanges um, with increasing requirements. You have banks providing funding with increasing requirements. And then you have the regulators out there with their requirements as well and legislation frameworks and and all the rest of it. So there's a a lot of pressure coming from ESG. For me, businesses that do ESG well are good businesses um, and they're the sorts of in the businesses that we should be investing in whether it be through our consumer dollar or you know through other through other means as well so it is a really important topic and businesses that don't do it will ultimately lose out and are you seeing a, a technology play an increasing role so artificial intelligence for instance Oh, 100%. So in terms of our own platform, we use artificial intelligence and machine learning. We use big data and we also use our own proprietary data models as well to be able to surface the right information on ESG to our clients. The reason why you often hear about technology being used in the context of ESG is is for a couple of reasons. Firstly, when it comes to ESG, there is a very strong relationship between the performance of a company and the attributes of its suppliers or supply chain. Now, when you start talking about the supply chain or suppliers, particularly for large organisations, we're often talking about thousands and thousands of suppliers. 
um, when we're talking about thousands and thousands of anything, that's where you start to look at technology to start to make it more efficient. So that's why we often hear technology being used in the same context of ESG. ESG really is all about getting the right data and deriving the right insight and surfacing that insight at the right time in the decision-making process. And again, you know, technology is really you know, it can really help to accelerate that information and surface it in the right way. And that's that's how we use it. It really is just to make sure we're, we're providing the right information to our clients at the right time. So putting aside all those positives with using technology to measure, measure ESG, um, can you tell us if there are any limitations or challenges associated with using that technology? And if so, how are they being addressed? Yeah, I mean, in the context of ESG, what's really challenging about this space is that it's it's evolving. It's going to continue to evolve as well. There's new information. We need to understand what that all means. And often we can't rely on the technology when it is so new and you need a, you need human intelligence to intervene and to really understand what it is that we are trying to solve for first before you can then leverage technology. There's obviously also the discussion around ethical use of AI. But for us, you know, we're really dealing in business data and we're interrogating frameworks and models. And so that issue doesn't necessarily come up for us so much in the work that we do. But certainly that is something that's front of mind for a lot of people that do use AI, particularly where it involves people. So, yeah, I mean, there are challenges with 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 the technology, particularly when you're you're working in a new and evolving space, you, you definitely need the human intelligence. So for us, it is really around how can we leverage it to make our processes a lot more quicker? How can we um, use it to automate some of our processes? You know, once we've designed the model, um, how can we then leverage it to, you know, scale it, for ex- instance, that's where we use it. But I think depending on, you know, how you use AI in your business, there may be the need or, you know, from our perspective, we feel like for some time there will always be the need for that human intelligence overlay in the work that we do. And what sorts of information are businesses looking for when they're measuring their ESG targets? I mean, you mentioned data before as a key part of your uh, platform. Um, So what role does that data play as well in terms of measurement? So one of the biggest challenges with ESG is the creeping in of greenwashing. Um, and there's various forms of greenwashing. We, we, you know, that's probably the most well-known term. We hear about social washing, gender washing, SDG washing or rainbow washing, and that refers to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So it's basically this, um, you know, this terminology that's used perhaps to reference instances of companies making claims that, that aren't perhaps genuine or or completely correct or accurate. That is a big challenge and the regulators are starting to come down quite hard on businesses that do that. And regulation will play a role dealing with the, the issues arising with greenwashing. In Australia, for example, we had the ACCC probably about three or four weeks ago now release the results of its sweep on businesses to see how their claims to the public and the consumer um, matched up against, you know, what evidence they had to support those claims. Um, And this is really where our platform plays because we focus on the verifiable information on businesses around sustainability or ESG. We interrogate what that verification looks like. 
what its scope is, what the depth of inquiry is, you know, the level of verification, assessment, audit. There's a whole range of factors that we interrogate when we look at verifiable data. When we're comfortable with the data that we've surfaced and the source of that information and that there's been some third-party verification, we don't stop there because a lot of this information, one of the biggest challenges of it is that people don't know what it means. And so one of the biggest parts of what we do in our platform is we translate what this data, this verifiable data means for a company. That's quite important because every company are doing different things. They operate, operate in different locations. They, you know, provide different products and services. They're of different size. Organizations have all sorts of different attributes, which means they have different targets. They have different sustainability targets. So the next part of what the platform is doing is it's telling them how these suppliers that have these verified attributes advance their own targets that they've set for themselves. And the objective there is to help organisations identify these suppliers more quickly um, in the decision-making process so that they can continually engage suppliers that help them advance their targets. And where do you see the future of ESG reporting and tracking technology going? And do you see it evolving in the next few years? Yeah, 100%. Um, it will continue to evolve as, as the frameworks, you know, the regulatory landscape and stakeholder requirements change. So too will ESG reporting. A, a lot of the businesses that operate in this space have designed their platforms quite flexibly. Certainly our models are designed very flexibly so that when there are changes in these frameworks or there are changes in requirements, the platform can adapt. I think we're also going to start to see, just like what we're doing, I'm sure all the other platforms and technology providers that are in this space are, are doing the same. You look constantly looking for areas to innovate and leverage technology. So for us, you know, there's certain product developments on our on our roadmap that are you know, leveraging AI or augmenting our data in different ways or, um, you know, developing slightly different machine learning models so that we can surface a particular data point that we think is going to be relevant going forward. And I think if you are operating in this space, you, you do need to, you know, constantly innovate your own product to keep up and you need to be listening very carefully to what your customers are asking of you, what the questions are. They might not know yet what they need, but certainly they're going to give you some leading indicators in the questions that they're asking you. And then you can figure out from there, okay, well, this question's being asked. This is what we think the, the right piece of information or insight is that it will be needed. And how do we get there? Particularly in this space, um, I think we're going to see a, a, a lot of changes and watch this space because we've got three different avenues that we're currently exploring uh, at the moment. So let's just switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, the IO Foundry program that SAP runs. What has been some of the advantages for you being involved in this program? So, I mean, we find these, these programs for us are very helpful because of the nature of our business. We're obviously B2B. We're platform technology, which means that we can be quite flexible around how we integrate um, with other platforms. So from an SAP perspective, we've had uh, direct introductions from the SAP team. You know, the, the 
the sales and um, product people within SAP, they're aware of our product and they um, present it themselves to some of their clients um, to see if it's something that they might be interested in. We So we get those direct referrals through SAP, which has been really fantastic. And also because of the breadth of SAP's client base, you know, this innate, this is a natural way for us to, to scale beyond our existing sort of borders and where we currently operate. Um, so we get introductions to clients from all around the world, which is, you know, fantastic for a for a, a startup such as ours. The other thing that it opens the door to is being able to make our data and insights available through SAP's marketplaces. So that's a really obvious one for us. It's really easy for us to do. The implementation of that and the integration of that has been straightforward. So for us, it gives us the ability for clients that want to stay within the SAP, you know, workspace, they can receive our data and insights through their existing, um, you know, SAP software. So there's a number of, you know, advantages, I think, for organizations or startups such as us in the B2B space to be able to work with large organizations like SAP. All right, so just to wrap up, um, give us some insights into what's next for Giveable, what uh, what sort of growth plans you might have, for instance. We've got a number of key projects on at the moment that we're really excited about. We are integrating with partners in the procure tech space, in the fintech space. I think one of the challenges for a growing startup is you know, how do you get that distribution for us, it's it's through partnerships and you know finding those complementary tech platforms that, you know, give you that visibility to, you know, their clients that have a need that's currently not being met by, you know, what whatever that platform is core focus is. I think that's a really neat way to be able to grow quickly. We're also in the process of creating a white labeled version of our platform. So something we hadn't really contemplated when we first started out, we built the Giveable platform, we have users using the Giveable platform. And, and then now we've We've had multiple customers come to us and say, well, we love what you do, but we want to brand it for our for our employees and for our suppliers. And so that's something, that's a project that's currently underway and should hopefully be ready in the next couple of months. But for us, it really is about customer acquisition um, and not just that. I mean, that's obviously a goal for a lot of startups. I think for us, we feel that if we can continuously deliver value to our customers, if we can bring them unique insights be amongst the first to do that for them, you know, uncover information in their own data or in external data that can help them make better decisions, then ultimately, you know, it's going to lead to that customer acquisition story. So really for us, it's focusing on where can we extract more value from what we do already? What new data points can we uncover? What new insights? How do we deliver that in a really simple way to our customers so that we can grow our business both in the Asia Pacific region and beyond? Wow, there's a lot going on there, Francis. <laughs> good luck yeah, with it. It is super <laughs> easy, <laughs> but it's good. It's 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 really exciting. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, and thanks to all of our listeners. You've been listening to the Best Run podcast, brought to you by SAP. You've been listening to the Best Run podcast, brought to you by SAP.